Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so everyone good to go get cracking? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Okay, so let's get everything recording. Excellent. So brilliant, guys. It's great to see everyone here. Um, number two on the podcast with Plymouth Argyle today. So I want to get us started. I just want to go for everybody and, and if you can come in and introduce yourselves and explain your role at the club, that would be great. So uh, if we can start with you, Mark, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, so um, thanks for the day, Chris. Really appreciate you inviting me on. Um, my name's Mark Blackwell. I'm currently assistant manager for the Plymouth Argyle Ladies First team. I'm also head coach for the under-16s girls ADC. Brilliant stuff. Ryan? Hi, Chris. Yeah, uh, thanks for having us on again um, today. Um, so I'm Plymouth Argyle Women's First Team Manager. Um, and I'm also head of women and girls football for our Goal Community Trust and lead coach for the under-14s at the ADC. Great stuff. Vicky? Yeah, hi, um, I'm obviously Vicky Fannon. Um, I've been involved um, at Argyle kind of on and off for it for, since I was a young girl. Um, I'm currently like joint manager of the development team um, and I kind of have worked with Ryan and Mark um, working with like the transition from the girls coming up into the ladies team. Excellent stuff, thank you. And last but not least, Lydia. Hi, my name's Lydia. I'm currently a player for the Plymouth Argyle first team and I'm my second season here. Um, I'm also a student at the University of Exeter as well. Great stuff, ideal. Perfect. So um, I just want to kick off then with, um, we'll start with you, Lydia, because we got you here. We'll start with you, put you under pressure early doors. So um, can you just start and give us a, a little bit of um, a background into when you first started playing football, what your experiences were to get you to where you are now? Um, yeah, so I was playing for a local boys team up until I was about 10 years old. And then I started playing for Gillingham Centre of Excellence, which I think they're now called the Regional Talent Centres. Um, and then I was at Gillingham for about six years. And then once I'd finished, got to the end of the Centre of Excellence, I then decided to move to Crystal Palace. Um, just because there seemed to be better opportunities there and it, the infrastructure of the club seemed to be a lot better than Gillingham. Um, but then because of work and distance for travelling, I then moved back to Gillingham for one season, part of the ladies team. And then I then moved to university down here. So I joined Plymouth. Yeah. Perfect. I've got to mute myself. Lydia, that was awesome. Thank you. Ryan, do you want to go next? That'd be great to give a little insight of where you started. Cheers, Lydia. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Cheers, Chris. Um, yeah, so I've been involved in women and girls football for probably the last four seasons. So um, I started coaching six years ago. Um, started at Elberton Villa Grassroots team for my son's football team. Um, and then I went and done a university degree at Plymouth Marjons in football development and coaching. Um, got a job with Plymouth Argyle Community Trust. Was the lead coach at the under 10s at the Girls Advanced Development Centre, whilst I was also coaching um, the Boys Academy at Plymouth. Um, done two seasons with the under 10s um, at the ADC and then 
I asked to go and coach an older age group. So I went up and became the lead coach at the under 14s. Um, then the role of head of women and girls uh, came up at the community trust. So I applied for that and luckily got the job. So I sort of then become in charge of the whole women and girls program in Plymouth. So I oversee literally everything from in school after school clubs into the ADC, obviously, and up to the uh, women's first team. Um, and that's sort of where I am at the minute currently. So I've done my UA for B license as well um, and looking to push on and do my A license moving forward. Great stuff. Brilliant. Vicky? Oh gosh, you're going to make me show my age. <laughs> um, so I started playing football at school with the boys when I was kind of like 13, 14. Um, and I remember um, kind of an advert came through through school about trialling for the um, Plymouth Argyle Centre of Excellence for the girls, which is now like the equivalent of the ADC. So I got in it that way. I kind of was at the ADC for a little while. Um, back when I was... Well, about 15, that was the age to become a women's football and I was 16. So I played women's football from the age of 15, played for a really long time, like 18 years, kind of then got into coaching, um, started my coaching kind of career with a different club, but I've kind of come back to, to Argyle, kind of where it all began. Um, and I've just kind of really seen like the club evolve. So like when I was first at the centre of excellence, there was not really any kind of transition from later from girls into ladies. It was kind of just all right. You're 15 now. Go and play. Um, whereas now there's kind of more of a of a transition, and you get to kind of spend more time in and around the coaching staff that work with the women's team. Um, yeah, so that kind of just makes the evolution into that game much easier for them. Brilliant, brilliant. I want to delve back in in a bit. Well, I want to I want to get Mark's take, um, and then I want to just delve into a little bit of. Uh, what it's like between when you started playing and apologies if it shows your age Vicky apologies but I want to look at the difference between you and, yeah. and Lydia's pathway in a minute if that's all right. Mark over to Thanks, you mate. Um, yeah so I've probably been coaching for about 10 years now um, specifically with girls probably I'd say about five years that started off um, with my local grassroots club um, coaching younger age groups there and then it's slowly sort of progressed so um, I've always sort of coached in the in the male game, boys game, um, but I would say the last sort of five, well, probably four years now, I'd say I've taken it a little bit more seriously in terms of a female game. Um, so that started off, let's say, a grassroots club. Um, then I sort of moved into a little bit more coaching at Argyle. Um, and since since probably 2000, what we know, 2021, so probably since 2018, I've, I've pretty much done it as like my full-time coaching, if that makes sense. So I've coached boys, but it's been predominantly girls since probably 2018. So I, I, I work with um, Devon FA, I've coached the Devon ladies team uh, for a season. And then um, I worked with uh, Plymouth Marjong um, uni team, working with the, with the men's and the ladies teams. Um, then I sort of moved more full time into into working with Argo Community Trust, and part of that role now is to is to coach coach the ADC. So last season it was the under 14s this season it's the under 16s and obviously sort of beginning of last season, myself and Ryan um, moved into the into the senior setup. So um, yeah, that's been my sort of journey over the last sort of five years. Um, 
specifically with 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 women and girls. Brilliant stuff, mate. Excellent idea. I think it's just good to get a nice background into everybody. And uh, for the people listening, it's uh, it's going to be different for each of us, isn't it? So uh, it's nice to know where everyone's come into it, when they come into it. And, and, and we're going to find out a bit more now about pathways. So let, let's just get back to, I want to look at this difference in pathways between Vicky and, uh, and Lydia. So I appreciate Lydia, you've, you've come down here, obviously later on in, in your life. And I'm sure you obviously... You're still very young, so um, you've got plenty more to give. So uh, I know it's going to be very difficult to try and put it into Devon compared to Gillingham, but let's start with Vicky. What sort of things um, do you see now, Vicky, that are in place that, that just weren't av- around and available when you were maybe one or two years younger? One or two, one or two decades. <laughs> um, I think when I was kind of transitioning from, from the girls' game into the women's game, there was just... There was, there was just no kind of step. There was no development. There was kind of, like I said earlier, just a, well, there you go, you're 15 now, you can go and play. Um, and there was no, like, support. There were no staffing in place that helped that transition. You know, because it's it's such a different game, like the speed of the game, the pace, the, the strength, and just everything is so different and you're not prepared for that. I think the biggest thing is you're not mentally prepared. Um, and I remember being so terrified playing against, like, big strong women and I was kind of like a bit out of my depth um but I think what what I see now particularly from working with Ryan and Mark and and the girls that we've got coming through is there's so much more in place you know like girls now are getting sports science sessions they're getting S&C sessions they're getting match analysis you know they're getting sponsorship they're getting funding they're getting all this different opportunities compared to what I had 20 years ago um and it, it's it's amazing to see like how the game has grown. Like if you think back when I was playing, the women's super league hadn't even been formed. Like that was only formed in 2010. So there's, there's so many kind of strides now in the women's game that have made it so much easier for young girls to just get the best opportunities possible. Brilliant. Cheers, Vicky. Okay. So Lydia, just based on what Vicky's just just mentioned there. Um, for you, obviously, the transition you've gone from boys from tens into girls. What what made you make that choice? Um, what then was the pathways given to you at, at Gillingham, and then obviously into Crystal Palace? Um, and can you expand on them a bit more for us, please? Yeah, I think it was quite similar for me as well. In that, I think once you reach the end, well, was when I was sixteen, then going to women's football, it is quite you do feel quite isolated because there's not really that many people around you to that support you and to go and I think especially for girls because not every girls teams they have like an adult female team to go into so you kind of have to create the opportunities yourself and contact coaches um but I think also going on each season it's just the difference of how the women's game is progressing in that the men's um, side of the club is becoming more like united and they are helping with like giving more resources to the female game. Just thank you Lydia for that. Can you just explain what, so when you, I think it was 10 years old, you said that you went from playing um, boys teams then into, was it girls teams from 10, 11? Yeah. What did that transition look like? And was that something that you chose to do? Was that something that it was a group of you that, that went or what made you make that choice that time? 
Um, I think I was playing for a school at a school tournament and then I was approached by one of the Gillingham scouts who said to come along to the trial and I had been told by other coaches to kind of stay in the boys game because it would make you it would probably help later on if you stay more in the boys game but then I can't I found it quite refreshing being around girls that had who were like similar and they all had the same goals and the coaches they took us seriously as players because being in the boys game it was like there were you did get a lot of comments like from the sidelines of kind of dad saying oh you've just been beaten by a girl and stuff whereas being with at the center of excellence then you were taken more seriously I think. Definitely appreciate that thank you. Um, I want to mark and, and Ryan for this one. Um, I want to delve into it a little bit better um, in a couple of questions time, just regarding the understanding of how the trust works, how it sits alongside the club, um, how the ADCs go then into um, post-16 and women's. I want to delve into that later, just so everyone understands that pathway, because I think listening to the two girls there, um, even with Lydia that is, you know, not far off the age we're talking about in that transition from uni into women's. She still had that nervousness at, at 15, 16 going into the women's game. So it's obviously something that's still really important to get right. Um, and talking to another club on the other day, they had exactly the same experiences. So it's something that we all as coaches must must see that that's got to improve. So if, if one of you want to start us off and just talk and, and explain exactly how it sits in with the trust and, and what support and and et cetera, et cetera, how you need to get where, where we're talking about. All right, yeah, I don't mind going. Um, so the pathway at the trust, so the women's team comes under the umbrella of the community trust. Um, so we've got that clear pathway from the ADC through to the women's first team. So our pathway, we start off with just after school clubs, for example, that's where we go and get our talent from really is local schools, grassroots clubs. Um, and then they get invo invitation to our, we've got a long-term player development centre, which then leads on to our advanced development centre. Um, our advanced development centre we have under 10s, 12s, 14s and 16s, but this year we are adding an under 11s and an under 15s um, into that as well, just because the uptake in the women's game and the girls game is massive now. Um, and now this year we've just added a post-16 education programme in-house at the club, so that's going to be run at home park. Um, and again, that's just to give girls more opportunities against better teams around the country. Um, and then that will lead on to the development team and the first team. So how we've sort of looked to do it this year, since myself and Mark got involved with the senior setup, is that once the girls sort of hit 16 at the ADC, we're sort of inviting them along to not, not a trial, but six weeks worth of training with the uh, development team. So you can get feel, get to know the coaches, get to know the players. Um, and sort of taking it from there. So what we're, we're planning on doing is obviously with Vicky as joint manager um, of the development team, Vicky comes along to the ABC, sort of introduce her to the girls. So they know got a friendly face and a familiar face before they attend that session. Um, so it's just having a clear pathway and giving the girls sort of the right opportunity at the right time, if that makes sense. Definitely. Brilliant. And had, Mark, how does that, how does that work for, um, for space and for the training because is it is it done completely separate because obviously the trust does lots of things um 
is it a separate umbrella that you'll be on different nights or do you share facilities or is it something where it's, it's some joined up thinking to make sure that you're not just in a corner because the more people I speak to unfortunately if they're trying to get girls up and running and boys already there you seem to find that they they get the smaller space or they get the less time etc so how does that fit within the the trust and 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 do you feel that it's something that is is equal to the boys that are running alongside you or um or, or would you say that it's more how would you feel on that um yeah i think we're quite lucky in that sense because um we have our own sort of night on a wednesday night where it's just it's just um otpd and adc so um, I, I get what you're saying and I know a lot of clubs that, that probably do struggle with that I mean you know we would be the equivalent of the boys sort of centre of excellence if you like so they train on a Friday night from half past five till half past eight nine o'clock we pretty much do the same on a Wednesday night so we've got the whole facility to ourselves um, each age group comes in they've got their own room to work in so you know we could have four age groups we've got a quarter of a 3G each at, you know of a full size 11 side 3G, sorry. Um, so we're lucky in that sense. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference. I think we would probably struggle as a, as a club if to recruit players and, you know, and to be able to offer the, the levels of coaching that we offer if we were if we were struggling for facilities. So it does play a big part. I'm not saying it's the be-all and end-all. You know, facilities are not the be-all and end-all. But I think it does it does help in terms of you know recruiting and, and keeping the players in the system because it would be very as a coach I probably wouldn't want to do that if you know if we were got stuck in a quarter of a three G and there's lots of other teams using it then it probably wouldn't be for me and Ryan would probably be the same you know so we are quite lucky in those terms and I do feel for for other clubs that are, haven't got those facilities definitely no it's, it's something that keeps coming up that's why I wanted to mention it and. I think it, it sounds great. It sounds like you're getting the full backing that you want and, and that you deserve. So brilliant so far. I, I just want to look at the the pathway because looking from what you got here, it's it caters for for some real young girls to come all the way through to to hopefully stay at the club. Um, what what sort of things do you put in place to try and get that engagement between the, the kids and, and the first team? Is there is there bits that you put on where you try and merge them? Do you get them to games? Do you treat it like um, an experience on match day for any of them? Is it something that you look to do, guys? Obviously, this year it's been a bit yeah. difficult. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we've took over it probably the last time really to try and implement stuff. So we have got plans uh, moving forward to try and integrate the ADC and the women's team a bit more closely. I don't think it has had that joined up thinking previously. I think it's been quite separate. Um, and girls probably didn't get the opportunity sometimes they probably deserve. Um, so our our plan moving forward is, yeah, we would we invite, obviously we're going to invite the under 16s girls up to train. Obviously, we can't join in because of the age age gaps, but we will be inviting the ADC girls along to the fixtures. We'll get the under 10s and 12s in as mascots next season. Um, so there will be opportunities so they can have photos with the girls and the players. Um, don't want photos with me because unless I've had a haircut. Um, but yeah, so we are going to try and make it a more of a joined up thinking rather than, which I think helps having obviously myself and Mark full time at the trust and obviously in, involved with the senior team. Um, so it's sort of from top to top, top to bottoms, all the same joined up thinking. Brilliant, mate. So girls on that front as players, um, how do you, 
how does that sit with you? Do you feel more responsibility and need to engage with the younger ones? Is it something that you've done anyway? Um, or is it something that as a club now that you, you need the girls to aspire to you and, and you play a big part in that, maybe without knowing? What's your thoughts on that, knowing that that's coming up? Um, I think from when I came through, like I said earlier, the, there wasn't that connection. And I think Ryan's right in a sense over the last kind of five, six, maybe seasons or so, there hasn't been that link. Um, but from a coach player point of view, what's really nice to see is now that, you know, there is that um, connection again. And I think it helps having obviously Ryan and Mark coach the uh, under 16s and under 14s coming through because the girls are now kind of more prepared to step into the women's game. Um, and it keeps kind of the momentum going for them. They, you know, we've got players I could name this season who have come from under 12s and they've worked their way through. You know, we've got success stories in Rosie Train, for example. She's come from under 12s, 14s and 16s. She played two games um, in the development team for me. And now she's in the first team and she's a starting player and she's playing 90 minutes each game. So um, we've got success stories throughout the club. We've got older success stories in, in Katie Middleton, for example, who came all the way through and well, she's been there even longer than I have. So, you know, I think Plymouth Argyle is the club where young girls really can flourish um, and we are very lucky in a sense that we are supported with that pathway. Forgot I was on mute then. What's your thoughts, Lydia? Is it similar to you? I know, obviously. Um, do you do any coaching, by the way, Lydia? Uh, no, I don't. No. Okay, that's that makes it even better then. So, based on the fact that it's it might be different for you to go and engage with players, um, is it something that you felt was missing when you were younger? Um, is it something that you want to try and do to to just in any capacity to to try and encourage younger girls to join in? Yeah, I think it's really beneficial. And I think I remember when just at the end of when I was at the Centre of Excellence, we did start to train with the first team a bit. And I even remember now players that I kind of looked up to. And I think just being around them, seeing what the atmosphere is in the club, and it really inspires you and makes you want to work hard to try and be in this, the same position as them. So I think it's always good to have like people to look up to and to try and do what achieve what they have definitely and obviously if they see you at the same place it, it's actually quite feasible for them to go and do the same isn't it whereas rather than watching on the telly and that is a big jump and looking at some of the other girls this is this is in their reach which is great um brilliant so far um i just want to look at um i want to see what your opinions are on, on what you feel that's still missing massively from the development of female um, footballers, what your views are that you think could be easy fixes, what your views are that are long-term fixes. I know I'm asking a lot here, but um, obviously you're in that game, you're in that that zone where you, you've probably got two, three, four-year plans. Um, hopefully, you know, the position and jobs you're in, that they give you the time to do that, which is different to obviously from other clubs. Um, but for me, what, what would you say, and I think I'll start with the guys for this one, what would you say based on for you guys coming in the last four years, what are the biggest things for you that you think are missing in the development of female players? Do you want to go first? <laughs> Up to you. Go on, you can go. Go on, go on. Cheers, Mark. Uh, yeah, for me, obviously, um, 
I think because the game as the game's growing, um, currently it's dual age groups. So for the younger age groups, it's tens, twelves. So it's dual age groups. So I think moving forward, that needs to change. So it's similar to the boys. I think there's enough girls playing football to have every age group um, at grassroots level and higher. Um, for me, as a club, our ambition in the next two to four years would be that we would become an RTC. So we want to become a regional talent uh, club. Um, that is our ambition. Um, we're trying to put the foundations in place now for that to take place and give the girls the same opportunity as the boys. Um, if you look at the boys' academy, for example, they train three nights a week. They've got fixture programmes on a Sunday. Um, whereas our girls currently train once a week and we play fixtures every half term. So it's not enough for me. Um, but again, that's sort of where our, our ambition is to get the club uh, moving forward. Um, so that's sort of it really for me with the female game. Um, same with introducing the post-16 programme this year. That, that was a bit of a lack of an opportunity at Argo. I think we were missing. Um, we did sort of run a programme alongside City College, but it was more recruited by City College. It was sort of any, anyone can sort of apply, if that makes sense. Um, so we want to make it a bit more bespoke to the sort of players we're looking for um, to move progress from the ADC up into the first team. Um, like using Rosie, that example again, obviously Rosie's come through at the end of 16s and she's pushed on into the first team. Um, that's not always going to happen. So we need to have something in place where girls, if they don't get into the under 23s or the first team at 16, well, how else can we support them and continue their development in the game rather than them just drop out of the ABC at 16 and go off and do whatever. We want to keep building that development of the player. Definitely. Mark, any bits to add on that? Um, yeah, I think from a development point of view, um, if we're looking sort of outside of you know what clubs do, I think more needs to be done in schools. So I think I would like to see you know opportunities for girls to be able to play football in school. Now, when I was at school, which was a very long time ago, it was boys did football, rugby, cricket, and girls did netball, hockey, and not much else. Now I know a few schools are, are different now, and there are there are opportunities for girls to play football, but I don't think all schools do it. Um, and you know, recently, well, well, not recently. It must have been well, it wasn't even last year, was it? It was a year before. I don't even know what year we're in at the minute, but I think it was a year before we went We went to a school um, and we put on, myself and Ryan, we just put on a, a whole day of football, basically, for anybody that wanted to come along. And to be fair, we weren't expecting many to turn up. Um, and when we got there, the numbers were were massive all day long from every every year group. And the feedback we got from the girls is they, they just didn't have the opportunity to play football in school. Now, there's a lot of good clubs, especially in Plymouth. Plymouth's massive. If you look at how many players and how many teams there are in Plymouth, it's it's huge and it's growing. And like Ryan said, adding the extra age groups will, will help it. Um, but I think like there needs to be a push. I think, especially in secondary schools, um, there needs to be more of a push towards giving girls opportunity to play to play football in school. And I think that will make a huge difference. Definitely, I agree with that. I mean, I'm based in Torbay and um, in Torquay and. Every year when we can play, um, the, the primary school teams, they're flooded with girls playing football and they all play their finals at Playmore and they, they all play their games. But it does, to me, seem like they're just 
made a team up, go and play. And then there's not much training afterwards. So I see all those girls and I think, where do they go afterwards? I think the big thing for me trying to understand is I look at Torbay and I look at the girls' teams. If they're coming from um, sort of 11 and up, there, there doesn't seem too many. Obviously, I'm not I'm not privy to the information down in Plymouth, but it sounds like there's a, a few more options down there, but obviously it's a lot bigger. So for me, I see loads of girls that seem to want to play. Um, and I think it's bridging this gap of how do we do it? We're, we're lucky in the school that I work in at TA that we, we try and replicate whatever the boys and the girls can get. Um, and the problem is, though, is then trying to find those games because not everyone does the same as us. So um, it's nice to know that it's an issue everywhere else. It's not just in Torbay, but obviously on the flip side of that, it's a, it's a crap issue to have because you want to make sure that they're playing. So no, I, I appreciate that. And it's, it's got to be surely something else that can be done. Um, girls, for you, um, coming through and, and listening to there, the, the bits that you think you could improve, is there anything from a player's point of view that I think it can improve? I'll start with you, Lydia. Is there anything that you think is missing still to this point? Um, more, money, more money would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think also just trying to get more coverage and advertising our games would really help because I think being keeping up to date with like our matches and stuff it's just as exciting as being part of like the men's teams as well and I think that would also and also like with most women's clubs they don't really have access to um, like the same facilities as the boys do in like having S&C coaches and access to gyms and stuff that they can use. Um, so I think that would help. Definitely. Just touching on what you spoke about then, um, about the facilities and what boys and that get, is that what's your, what's your thoughts on, because um, if we're brutally honest, we're probably now, I've, you've seen it, that the, the female game is, is improving very quickly. Um, in my opinion, I might be wrong, but it seems to have gone very quickly the last few years. It's great to see, but do you also think that sometimes that might come at a cost that people are just trying to do tick boxes now of showing that they're doing something female, but not really paying it too much attention? And obviously, I know it means speaking outside of your club, but um, there's lots of clubs that I see out there being sort of independent, just seeing what's going on, that um, it looks great on a Dem and FA tick box that, yes, you've got some girls coming on and then the following year that they're not there um, because they've probably just not had the opportunities and the structure that's needed. And on top of that, most of the established clubs that have just started with boys, are we back to that situation of then, is there enough facilities? Can they still get what the boys are getting? And, and is it going to be at the understanding that we might have to chop some of the, the amount of boys teams to play to get more space, etc.? Because we, we can't, all have access to facilities every night, can we? So what's your thoughts on that, guys? Um, for me, I, I think down in Plymouth, especially, I think it is quite the female game is taken quite seriously, especially at grassroots. Um, and it's trying to build those bridges, I think, for us as well with the local clubs to try and give the girls the opportunity um, that, that we're not trying to nick their players because um, that's not the case. They can play for both Plymouth Fargo and their local grassroots teams all the way up until they... Well, even if senior level, for again, going back to Rosie, Alice and Caitlin this year, they've all played for their local grassroots team still, whilst playing for us. Um, depending on the game, obviously it depends if I say they're allowed to or not, but that's sort of um, 
how we want it to work and trying to build those bridges. Um, again, facilities are massive. Um, I don't. I think the teams who have got girls teams are able to provide that, um, and that probably is a reason why there's not more girls teams because of facilities. Um, but then you see some clubs have got two under eight teams, for example, at boys, but they haven't got an under eight girls team. Is is that something which needs to change? Um, probably, because um, there are, like you say, girls out there. But I think it's just hard. It's just to keep it sustainable um, and just keeping the girls. Again, I think it goes back to what Mark said earlier about lack of opportunity in secondary schools, maybe. Uh, might hinder the development. The girls might play up until under 10s and then they stop because they stop playing in schools. And that almost stigma of playing football, I suppose, is as a boys game, if that sort of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there is stuff which needs to improve both across Devon and Cornwall and the Southwest, I think. Um, I think we are a little bit behind the times down here. Um, and it takes a little while to filter down, but we're getting there. Um, and like I say, that's sort of our, our jobs to sort of push on and work with clubs locally. Brilliant. Vicky, you've been, it sounds like I keep saying it, you've been doing it for a while now. Um, as in, you've gone through many different types of female football. You've done the women's, you've done the girls. You've, I'm pretty sure you must have played in boys' teams um, when you come in and you've seen, you've been in Plymouth, you've done stuff in Torquay and Torbay. What are the biggest things you've seen change? Um, what are the, I know you touched upon some bits earlier, but what are the biggest things that you think um, that you've seen and also things that you think are missing that are glaringly obvious that we don't seem to do? Um, I would say what's helped the game, obviously, is the coverage and how, I don't know, like in the last 10 years, women's football is being taken seriously now. Um, and it hasn't been, well, it hadn't been for a long time before that. So I think that has obviously helped the game evolve. Um, I think something that is missing, though, is kind of the consistency between the men's and the women's game. Like, for example, if you look at, obviously, with the pandemic, like tiers one and two of the women's game were allowed to carry on. But tier three, which our first team are in, who play teams who are full of professionals, like Watford, for example, they haven't been allowed to carry on. But then you look at the men's game and they've carried on right through to like the National League. So it's just, why, why is there that gap? You know, why is the inconsistency there? And I think that's what we need to try and stop. And we just need to stop making it about the financial burden. It's not fair that finances are always an obstacle because we've got teams in that tier, for example, and tier four who should still be playing football, but were stopped from doing that because of everything that's happened. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just about consistency, really, across both the men's and the women's game. Just on that, how, how do you guys find that with the leagues that you're in? Is, is there teams out there that are funded very different to others? Is it is money play a big part? Yeah, I think finances is massive, especially in the level we're at. Like, obviously, like Vicky's just touched on teams like Watford. Um, I've got huge backing financially. Um, and it is... I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's easier to draw players in of that quality that you need because you've got you can offer financial packages. We don't pay our players. Um, something we're trying to work on and behind the scenes. That's sort of our job as well to try and bring in funds so we can start paying players because it, it's a massive commitment. We're asking girls to travel 12-hour days on a Sunday for free. Um, so the financial burden is massive. Um, we get support from the club. 
um, in other ways. So, for example, they pay for the first team coach, so we go we travel by the first team coach. So that's all covered. Kit training kits all paid for by the club, so we do. And then obviously in kind, we play a few matches at home park when we're allowed. Obviously, it needs to be beneficial, so we need fans to be in in the ground. So um, there are ways the club do help financially, but again, even to the men's game, I suppose if you look look where Watford are compared to Plymouth Argyle, um, Watford just dropped out the prem. Hopefully, well, they're looking to go back up, so their club can probably invest a bit more money that, that way. Whereas obviously Plymouth Argyle are looking to go up the leagues. Can they invest as much money as that? Probably not. Um, so finances does have a huge implication, but I don't think it is the be-all and end-all. If you get a good core of players and you've got the right pathway, players are going to stay. Um, we've got players at the club who have stayed this year and who probably could have left and gone and got paid elsewhere, um, but they've stayed for a reason. Um, hopefully we've got a couple coming back next season, fingers crossed. So I'm working on that behind the scenes. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I think they like say it, it is a big it is a big issue, but as long as you can go and get back in and sponsors and I think like Lydia touched on earlier, the, the media coverage is massive. If you can get it out there and get the club to support that, which sort of we worked this year, hopefully our highlights are going to be shown on the main club YouTube channel. They've got 105,000 followers, so that's going to hopefully generate the interest in the women's game. Brilliant. I was going to I was going to ask Lydia her opinion, actually. So as a player, Lydia, based on what's just said there, and I know that um, things have, have started for the clubs, you know, the men might have been going for a lot longer than the women's, but how does that make you feel as a player when I see teams that are out there playing that, that they're playing not even near the town or the or the, the city that they come from, they're having to go and play at different venues to get the games on? How, do, how does that make you feel as players? Or does it bother you or does it not bother you? Do you feel that you should... Um, be more involved in the club if possible. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think definitely that you do notice it and it does make you feel kind of not as worthy as you probably should. But I think even in our case, like being able to go on the first team coach um, to away games, like it seems something small, but it's actually, it does make you feel much more professional. Um, and compared to last year when we are just, going on like five hour car um, journeys in a small minibus. But now this year with having like the first team coach, it definitely does make a difference. You feel more professional and like you are actually a proper, like you are being taken seriously as a player. Brilliant, thank you. And Mark, do you, do you feel, um, it's an awkward one, but do you feel that with all that's being said, do you feel that, that the club are paying more attention to it now? Do you feel that the club have, have changed the ways? Um, and I'm not saying that they were intentionally doing it before. It's just obviously, like Vicky said, 10 years, it's gone, it's gone really fast in a good way. Um, do you feel the club now are, are bringing the women's team in and the girls' team into conversations might not have entered the boardroom before? Do you feel that's a, a big issue now? Um, yeah, right I'm way? not party to anything that went on you know, previously with the club, only, you know, things that I've heard. And, but obviously since I've been at, been at the club, um, you know, the, the, the sort of men's team have been, have been more supportive. There, there seems to be a, um, a growing sort of need to, to get behind the one club sort of mentality. So, you know, from the first team down to the academy and obviously the, the ladies team, then it does feel like it's a bit more of a, a club environment. I think, we're a long way away from 
um, being anywhere near where the men's first team are. And I think, you know, that's the reality for, for most for most women's teams. I think it is growing. I think what you know, a worry for me at the minute is, you know, if you, you know, if you look at the men's, the men's game, the, the, the gap between the top and the next sort of few leagues down is huge. So, you know, we're talking about Premier League and Championship, League One and League Two. The differences is huge, you know, in terms of finances. And I think it started to go that way in the women's game already. And I think like the, the Women's Super League and the Championship, I think, you know, season after season, I think they'll start to, to move further and further away because of the finances that are involved. Teams will be desperate to get into that, um, into the top tier and stay in that top tier. Same as the men's game. So I think, you know, that 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 might be a concern for clubs going forward, I think, in terms of, you know, the, the gap that's going to grow between, you know, National League teams like ourselves who financially, you know, we're okay, but we're not we're not competing with with any of the top teams that that Ryan and the girls have spoken about. Um, but I think I think the gap will get bigger. I think more money will get pumped into the top end, um, same as the men's game, and sort of anything below that they'll be fighting and struggling to sort of get to that level. So I think that that is a worry for everybody. I think not just not just us as a club, um, but yeah, I think. You know, we've we've put together a five-year plan or a four-year plan. We've changed it to now. Um, you know, something that we're going to be speaking to the club about, hopefully in the near future. Um, you know, we've we've got our own plans. We've got our own ambitions. Um, from what I've heard, the, the club are going to be supportive of, of certain things um, with us going forward. We haven't actually sat down with the club and, you know, listened to both sides of the story yet, but that's something that we're hoping to do soon. But, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that in the next sort of, you know, I'm not. I know it's not going to happen next season, but maybe in the next two or three seasons, as time goes on, little pieces and little details will get added to to what we're doing, which will join up more with the club, and then hopefully be able to, you know, help us sort of push on a little bit. You know, but I think we've got a we've got a walk before we can run. I think, you know, it's it's easy for us to go to the club and go, we want this, we want that, we need this, we need that. But actually, there's a lot that needs to be done first. Um, so we've we've got to build those foundations. So you know everything we're doing at the ADC within twenty three is the first team. You know the things that we've got planned and the things that we're doing now are going to be important for two, three, four years time when hopefully things will will change for us. Brilliant. I think that's a worry, isn't it? Is that any any good club's going to have a three, four, five year plan and and the more people that are doing great work getting the, the younger girls playing, the la last thing you want is for but that gap to come bigger and bigger where you can't even get clubs to carry on because the money's not there because the golf's too big. So hopefully it doesn't turn that way. But yeah, you're probably right. One or two are probably running away with it, and they brilliant. Um just wanted to to touch on just um just going back to the, the post 16 and, and Vicky for the development. Um we were talking the other day to another club about um not having a development team. And, and then the problems that brings when they get to 16. And and similar to you guys, I run a post-16 girls who have been going two years here at TA. And we've got a very different mix of girls. But some of our better girls trying to get into the women's team is, is such a big jump. Um, and I don't think the girls appreciate it because I think sometimes they, they just haven't been in that environment and they think they can go and play. And, and you're trying to say to them that it's, it's probably not quite there yet. But... You also want them to be in and around it, but also because they're young, sometimes they don't want to go and sit on a bench. You want to go and find a lower level and, 
and play. So it's it's really difficult if you haven't got that middle ground. So if, if you guys can talk a little bit more about your plans for the post-16 and development and, and how important that is for clubs, that'd be great. Yeah, no worries, I'll go again, Chris, that's fine. Yeah, so the post-16 programme, like I said earlier, is sort of to bridge that gap, to try and prevent players from not, well, just going off the radar to a certain degree. Um, it's vitally important for players' development. There's not going to, like I said, there's not going to be everyone who's going to be able to jump into the development team or the first team. Um, we're quite lucky with ourselves being a, obviously an EFL club that we go and play in a Wednesday league, which is the EFL Football Alliance League. So it's like a post-16 programme with other professional football clubs. So we've got teams like Burton, Albion, Nottingham Forest, Derby, Swindon, teams like that in our league. So it gives the girls opportunities to get used to that sort of distance you've got to travel being down in the southwest. Obviously, it's a lot to ask, so they get used to the travelling side of things. Um, becomes a bit more professional. Um, they won't have the luxury of sitting on the first team coach. They'll be uh, on the mini bus, unfortunately. But um, that's just the life. But I think it's vitally important for the, the development of the club that post sixteen program um, that we get it off and running and keep the sort of quality at the club. Um, we have got girls who will bypass that straight away, and probably in the next two or three years, we've got players that are under sixteen who are playing for England. We've got a girl at under fourteens playing for England. So. If they keep developing, um, obviously they might buy, bypass and jump straight into the first team or the under-23s. Um, but just sort of having that extra pathway for those late developers to a certain degree, we don't want to write players off and go, well, actually, we're not going to offer you anything after 16 um, because they might develop into better players as they get older. Brilliant. And for you, Vicky, like, how do you... Um... How do you make sure that, because it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you're going to have people that are going to leapfrog you and, and go straight into the first team, like Ryan said. You're going to have girls that maybe aren't ready, but also you're going to, I take it that you can't just bring all your 16s in or most of the 16s in every year, because then what do you do with the ones that were there previously? So it's a tough balancing act. So how, how are you looking to do that? I think like naturally, naturally in the game, players will move on. Um, they want to explore different avenues. But I think with our with our youngsters that are coming through, I think we're quite lucky at this club that they feel comfortable, they feel happy and they feel content that they are ready to step up into the kind of the women's game. Obviously, there are players who aren't physically as good or ready um, and they will kind of be nurtured and kind of looked after in the development team um, by myself and the other coaches that work with them. And, you know, for, for us, um, and Ryan can kind of will agree with this, it's, for us, it's not about winning games as such. It's about... The players' development, you know, they need to learn. You know, it's good to lose games sometimes for their point of view because actually you're going to learn more from, from a defeat. And um, it's, for me, personally, working with some of the girls this year, it's been more important about working with their mental development um, and how they kind of react and respond to a loss or a bad tackle or a bad pass rather than, oh, we lost a game, that means we're rubbish. It's kind of just getting that mentality into them. So... Yeah, you'll have the players that aren't quite ready for the first team um, that do need a bit more kind of TLC. And that's really kind of my role and what I kind of help with, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it does. It, seem, it seems to work. We're, like I say, we're quite lucky with how our 15s, 16s come through and they are ready for that next step. Just to touch on that, Chris, if you don't mind me yeah. jumping in, um, we have like Mark's worked quite hard behind the scenes lately doing individual development plans. Obviously, Mark's the lead coach at our 16s. 
So the plan moving forward is when the 16s move up to the development team with uh, Vicky and the other coaches, that Mark will pass on the information about the players' strengths, weaknesses, what they need to work on, sort of their mentality, what they're like as a person. So again, that helps the pathway. So obviously myself and Mark will work with the girls from the age of 13 up to 16. So we sort of know them as a person as well. It's not just as a footballer. So we sort of know we've got certain girls who are shy. We've got girls who are, who are going and just be fine. We, we know that. Um, so it's just having that individual development plan. So the coaches get to know a bit about the player before they go up there, which is also going to help. Definitely. From the bits I've done in the last few years, that, that age is difficult anyway. Um, there's a lot of things going on. And... Uh, yeah, you, you expect them to just step into women's and think that it's similar, but they're very anxious, a lot of them, and they, a friendly phase is, is massively beneficial. And like you said, there's no point just having four or five years of great work underneath if you're not going to share that and, and pass information on. Lydia, from your point of view, and I'll ask you as a player um, rather than the coaches, but does that go the other way as well? So if you've got injuries, do the girls drop down? Do they, do they play in the development so then the girls can have a chance to play alongside first-team players? Um, yeah, I think when I moved into, when I was 16 and playing for Crystal Palace, they were going for um, promotion into the championship that season. And I think whilst I was only getting like five minutes each game, um, training with them twice a week and there was like international players, um, that was probably the season that I made the most progress. So I think, and also um, this season at Plymouth, using Rosie as an example, again, she's, you can just tell from every time that she's played with us, she's just more and more confident. And at the start, she's quite nervous, but now seems to like really enjoy playing and you can tell she's much more relaxed and getting involved with the girls. So I think it is important to slowly introduce um, girls once they're 16 into the first team and not put them straight into that environment, but also to recognise like the importance of doing that early and um, just so they get a feel for the game. Surely as well, you want to play, don't you, as well? So, yes, it's great experience-wise, but I can imagine it starts to do your head and if you keep going there and know you're never going to come on because it's experience. I get there's a part of that and you've got to be in a change room, you've got to see what's going on, but if you see your mate who's not getting that experience but playing every week and coming back with stories of what they've done, you've got that side to it as well. So it's a fine balance. And do you feel, for, for Mark and Ryan and, and Vicky, do you feel that is there transition between the teams um, for training and that just to see the difference for the girls to, to take it on board the level of, of development up to first team? Yeah, so this, this year we've um, obviously, with what went on in the summer at the club, there was a big transition and a bit big change at the club. So there has been a lot more opportunities for players to come up um, and go across to the development team because we get, obviously we took over late in the summer. So we didn't really have a full pre-season. We didn't know what our strongest squads were. Um, so we've sort of done a lot of chopping and changing. Um, it's difficult for the other way for the girls, for example, say Lydia's played six games for me in the, in our league, she's not allowed to then go and play in the development league. So it becomes an issue. It's quite hard. So if Lydia went and got injured and was out for three months, the main, well, for us, we would like her to go and get fit, match fit, play a couple of games, ease her back in. But we can't um, because of the league, unless she's only paid less than four games. So it, it, that is a massive problem. 
because okay. we've got, for example, Amber's out. Amber's been out. She's done her ACL, set her up, and we're hoping she'll be back in pre-season. But we wouldn't want to throw her in the deep end just coming back from that up. We'd want her to get match fit and get back into playing football. But obviously, she's a first-team player. And when she's fit, if she goes up and she struggles and she plays full... And it doesn't mean they've got to start four games. It means if they play... Just say they come on and we bring them on for five minutes a game and they've played four games. That's classed as four games and not allowed to play for the development team. And they, Wow, that's quite frustrating then, isn't it? It is quite annoying for us. Um, especially, uh, let's say, if you pick up injuries, which you're going um, throughout the season. Um, and you want to get yeah, and it, the, the, the thing is, I'll, I'll just jump in. The, the thing is, because that league is a competitive league and there, there are clubs with first teams in that league, whereas we've got our development team in there, it's... It's, you know, those teams are on a totally different wavelength to us because obviously, you know, a development team is to exactly what it says on the tin is to develop the players and give them opportunities. But you're playing against other senior teams who that's not on their agenda. They're there to win. You know, they're playing in the league, they're competitive. So you can see it from a league's point of view why they won't allow players from high levels to come down and play if they've played a certain amount of games. But that is a frustrating thing for us because, you know, it it does become restrictive then. We can only sign a certain amount of players down, you know, and like Ryan said, if they get injured and they need game time, you know, we're stuck because there's nowhere for them to go. You know, we're better off sending them to another club to sign for another team and, and play for them. Do you know what I mean? So that they can get that game time. But it's just something that we've got to, we've got to deal with, I suppose. Yeah, it's not ideal, is it? Because that'd be perfect, wouldn't it? Being able to drop. I think the leagues look at it as, oh, well, you could have a, big games to a certain degree, for example, because, um, like you say, it's not about results, but we want our development team to compete in the league they're in. Um, but it might come down to a game, for example, say they're playing against top of the table, their second decided league, they might, I think the league have done it to stop us thinking, well, actually, we'll go and chuck our first team out and win that game and win the league. But that's not what we're about. Um, that's sort of, it's a bit... I suppose it's for the other teams as well, isn't it? The ones that, like you said, have got their first teams in that league, they want to maybe progress. It might be that you've got three or four injured bodies, I get, that they might come and play. That means that they lose that game. It might stop them going up. So yeah. I, I suppose, yeah, I suppose there's always some grey areas in there. So, But I think with the de development team as well, like sort of what <clears throat> way we might be able to do it is obviously depending on ages. We The post-16 programme is 16 to 19. So if they're under the bracket, they might be able to ease back in on the Wednesday fixtures. Um, with it being joined up, that might be a way we can look at it moving forward. But again, um, as the girls get older, we won't be able to do that. So we've got quite a young squad. It's all right at the minute. But once Lydia gets to 30, which is a few years away yet, Lydia, nine years away yet, uh, we won't be able to do that then. Brilliant stuff. Awesome, guys. I just, I've got a couple of bits that I want to uh, just delve into here. Um, so it's been amazing so far. I appreciate all the. All the experiences and all the information is good. And for me, I'm learning all the time as well. And hopefully people listening are picking up bits. Um, I've put here, because obviously money's the big one. I've put here, apart from money, what one thing would you like to see happen in the future for female games? So if you magic wand style, um, take money out of the equation, what would you all want to see happen to improve the game? Uh, actually, I'm going to take away the other bit that a lot of you said, which is getting it out there and the... Uh, Sort of the advertisement of it all. Put you under pressure now. I'll start just so, just so my idea don't get nicked. <laughs> get out there early. Um, so for me, I think there's a massive opportunity, obviously, with the women's game growing. Um, for 
the National League to look at the structure of the leagues. I think there's an opportunity to expand leagues and give more teams the opportunity who want to push on. So, for example, if you look at the WSL and the Championship, there's only 12 teams in that league. Um, and if you go in just our league, there's probably three or four teams who want to go up to that league this season um, already now. That's our ambition in the next four years. We want to get pushing on to look at the championship level. Um, so is there a way they could expand the leagues, maybe up, up the WSL to 16, the championship to 16s, and then the southern and northern sections of tier three merge together. So it's a bit more of a competitive league. And that's sort of what I would like to see. Um, and again, just have that same sort of respect for teams lower down in the tiers. Um, obviously, like Mark alluded on earlier, the gap, we don't want that gap becoming too big. And I think by restructure of the leagues, which I think will happen eventually, um, that will help that. So that's where I want it to go. Brilliant, mate. Who wants to go next? <clears throat> yeah, I'll go. Um, I think, yeah, if we're, if we're talking about anything but money, I think there could be more done to help clubs in like lower leagues so like national league clubs and stuff that haven't got big budgets how they can best sort of use their resources they've got so you know we haven't got we haven't got a player budget and we haven't got a lot of money but we found ways to to get around that so you know we've we've bought in analysis doesn't cost us anything you know extra s and c sessions you know we've we've helped players with their diets you know we've we've done extra stuff sort of that we wouldn't be doing if we were at a, at a WSL club, there'd be, you know, a whole selection of staff to do that for us. We haven't got that luxury. So I think, you know, for, for the, you know, maybe for the FA where the powers that be, they could, they could go in and work with, with clubs and coaches and just, just give them a little bit of education, a little bit of support about stuff that they can do without having to spend money. If that makes sense. Do you, I'm just, just very quickly touch on that. How much, depending on the scope and how much do you feel you get from the local FA support wise? Um, no comment. <laughs> yeah, we, to be fair, we, we've had a, we've had a conversation about this this week about something related to this, but I don't want to go too much into it. But um, yeah, I thought in terms of, Actually, you know, we do get a lot of support as coaches because we're working with Tash Mills at High Performance Centre, which is based at Marjons. Obviously, that that's a national thing. That's not a, a local or regional thing. Um, so I can't say we don't get any support in terms of sort of coaching and coach education and, and learning and stuff because we do get that. Um, in terms of support from county FAs and, and local FAs to the club, um, mm. I don't actually know that. I, you know, obviously that's a conversation to have with with the people in charge at the club. But um, yeah, it's just I, I think they could probably do more at all levels, not just not just in the women's game. I think at all levels. But you know, I do understand that hands are tied, and you know, certain things are in fashion one season, certain things are out of fashion. They get allocated a certain amount of money to do things, um, which might not cover everything. So I do understand that, and it is quite political. Um, but yeah, we're quite lucky in a sense that we do get we do get a bit of support from the FA through through the women's high performance centre. To be fair, if that wasn't there, how much support would we get? I I don't know. Um, but again, that's down to that's down to individual coaches. You know, if you're always relying on county FAs and and national FAs and stuff to 
to help you with your education and you know to upskill you then i don't think you're helping yourself i think you have to you have to do your own stuff you know you have to get yourself educated you have to you have to get that experience so um i wouldn't like to put too much pressure on on the county fa's because i know the hands are tied with certain things but on the other hand i would like to see them maybe do a little bit more in certain areas I'll just touch on that, Mark. Obviously, I work quite closely with Devon FA within the role I do at the club. So it's we have got a good relationship with Devon FA. Certain things clash, which is inevitable when you're working with two organisations. Um, but they are quite they are supportive. We're trying to build out a relationship again. Um, I don't think it's been as healthy as it can be over the past few years. Um, and we're building that now. Um, Again, it takes a bit of time. Um, we've also got support from the regional talent scout for the England setup. So Sarah Lord is the regional talent scout for the Southwest. I personally have got a really good relationship with Sarah. Um, she's always on the phone if I need her or ask for advice. Obviously, she worked at, she was the manager at Yeovil um, when they went up to the WSL. So I've got a really good relationship with her. Again, coach-wise, myself and Mark get on really well with Darren Ray, who's the under-18s coach at Ardell. He's open and honest, coaching-wise, he'll come in. We'll go and watch the under-18s quite a lot, myself and Mark. Um, we're going to go down there tomorrow, actually, to watch him play their last league game. Um, and again, Darren's open and transparent with all he does at the club as well. So we have got quite a good network down in Plymouth. Um, but like you say, support FA-wise, I think it's as good as it can be. Um, I think the Devon FA, they need to support all the clubs locally a, a little bit more. Um, but that's another conversation, I suppose. Yeah. Sometimes I'd like to live in Somerset, but I won't <laughs> say that. To be fair, I think there is conflict across the country. It's not It's not just down here. I think it's... The thing with it, especially the female game, is obviously you've got ADCs and you've got ACCs and stuff like that. So the pathway is playing for your county to go into the England setup. But that, again, you limited it for two or three girls. Whereas I suppose ourselves, Exeter, Buckland, I've, they, we're not looking at those two or three girls. No. We're looking at the, the wider picture. Definitely. Girls, who wants to go first? They haven't left us anything, really, have they? No, come on, you'll have loads. Come no, on. I'm right, if I was to look at it from like from two different points of view, like from, from a coach point of view and from like a lover of the game, like as a as a player and, and a lover of the women's game, like I, I would obviously like to see kind of bigger attendances, um, kind of more of a scope of um, coverage like on live TV and things like that. You know, I know there are some games on there, but it's, it tends to just be um, tier one and tier two. So why why isn't there a way that, you know, tier three teams, tier four teams can be kind of published within the local, you know, like BBC Devon or like Radio Devon or whatever? Why can we not get more coverage for the female game uh, locally? Um, and then from like a coach point of view, I think Mark's touched on it really like with the education wise, like can we can we maybe educate clubs more? Like we're very lucky that we work with Tash Mills and we've got that, like as a coach, like I want to go in to do my um, my B licence and Tash is working with me from that point of view. And you know, I know she's worked with previous coaches that we've had and I just think it'd be nice to have um, all across Devon and all across the county and southwest in general um more opportunities for um coaches male and female to to develop the women's game further brilliant lydia final one um i think maybe firstly that 
rather than well splitting into girls and boys at such a young age maybe to carry on with boys and girls playing together up until I think it's about 15 that you're allowed to so having clubs that are more clubs that are a mix of girls and boys um, because I think this would help with like the girls developments and making them more like athletes and rather than seeing it as kind of like two because I think when you split it into girls and boys girls are always going to see it as like oh the boys teams are better um, and just encouraging girls I think they're doing it more now um, but girls teams play against boys teams um, and then the second thing I think trying to get more trying to get I think especially in Plymouth and Devon, maybe like a lot of people don't know about our women's first team. Um, so trying to do more things in the community to get us more um, people more to um, know about us and want to come and watch our matches. Brilliant, mate. I just really want to... Gladly ask. I'm glad that he has said that because guess what we're doing next year? Uh, <laughs> you'll be doing lots of guest appearances. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nina, really quickly, because I've only got one more and I appreciate I've took a lot of your time. On that bit about playing, um, do you think the leagues should be a bit more flexible if the girls are playing against boys, as in physicality? Would it would it be disrespectful to play you a year down, maybe? Or do you think that will go against what you're trying to achieve? Um, well, I think it is just it's known that boys are physiologically different they are stronger um so I don't think if I was to be a girl um playing against boys that year younger I don't think that would necessarily bother me um and I just think it would you should be matched more physiologically maybe rather than age um and it would just help to improve your game as an athlete so that's something ideally the leagues could be a bit more flexible on potentially yeah Chris, I'll just jump in there two seconds. Just cool. touching on what Lydia said about the girls playing in boys' teams. Um, fully support that. Uh, I still run my boys' local DGM team. So and we've got two girls who play in our team. Um, one of them has been with us from the age of nine. Um, one joined this season. So um, there are, I think it is more common now. And the advice we try and give to our girls at the ABC is if you can go and play boys' football, um, a lot of them do, to be honest, especially the better players. They um, play in a boys, either in a boys team or there is a girls, there's a girls team who actually play in a boys league. Um, and they've done quite well over the years. Um, even at the ABC, when we try and add fixtures, we've added games against the boys um, just because it is a test. So if we look at our under-14s, we've played two fixtures this year. Um, for example, against girls' teams, I won't name, name who they're against, and they've been comfortable and it's been too easy. Whereas we've played two local boys' teams and they've both been challenging, like, and it's pushed the girls a lot more. And we've probably got more out of those games than probably we have in the fixtures against the girls because it was a bit one-sided. I mean, I think Mark would say the same with the 16s. I think it's been exactly the same. I think both games, the 16s, have won comfortably but they've played two boys teams and they've been both competitive games. And we've done that with, the, I think, with the under-16s, the first game they played was against an under-14s top league boys side. Um, a lot of our girls at under-16s are 15, but it was sort of bridges that gap, like playing down physically, they competed. 
Um, whereas if they played an under 16s team, it probably wouldn't be the same. I think it makes sense personally, but it's, it's making sure that the leagues aren't going to stop you doing that. And it's not, it'd be great to have it as a league rather than having to do these friendlies, wouldn't it? I don't, I don't think the league would ever bring it in as a rule, if I'm honest, but that's a sort of, again, it's a shame, but I don't think it would. Also, a final one, and this is, you can go wherever you want with this. Um, based on, on what this is, which is a future player podcast at the minute, um, I want to know what your thoughts are, what a, female player looks like in 10 years? Oh, you can go first. I won't go first this time. Should we go back to the front? Lydia, right, you, start. On, Lydia you can start. Um, I think they would be more, more like athletes. I think at the moment, um, a lot of female players, you can be at a high level and, and they've never really done um, any strength and conditioning or... Um, are not particularly athletic. So I think, um, which obviously is very different to men's games. I mean, there's probably not many um, male players um, that aren't athletic and have really high levels of fitness and strength. So I think that's definitely an area of women's football that I think will probably get a lot more competitive and it'll be more, a lot more down to um, how, like your fitness and that side of things rather than just technical football ability. Brilliant. Vicky, over to you. Yeah, I, I would kind of back that up, Lids, to be honest. I think obviously I've seen the game evolve over the last 20 years and I've, I've seen that in practice. So I've seen players kind of play and have that, not that fitness level. And whereas now, like even with the, with the young girls we've got coming through, they are just a different level compared to what the girls at my age when I was coming through. So I think in 10 years time, that's gonna be even kind of more um, more exaggerated and more obvious, you know, they're gonna be fitter, they're gonna have more available to them, the strength and conditioning, like you've said, and they're just gonna have more available to them. So they're gonna be better athletes. I think their awareness of the game will be much better. Um, I think they'll probably be more um, psychologically prepared for the game. Um, they will have experienced a lot more change and. You know, they might have experienced failure and um, they'll, they'll be more aware of how important mentality is and attitude and how they apply it because of everything that's now available to them that perhaps wasn't 10, 20 years ago. Great stuff. Thank you. Over to the lads. It's Mark, isn't it? Yeah, I'll go. Um, yeah, I, I can't disagree with the girls. I think um, <clears throat> the athletic side of it is going gonna, is gonna to change. And like Vicky said, it already has changed, I think it's not a case of in 10 years time, they're going to be more athletic. I think they already are now. And again, it's only going to get, it's only going to get stronger. Um, I think players. So if I, if I, from my experience coaching, coaching senior players recently over the last 10 years, over the last few years, sorry. Um, what I have noticed is that there's a big gap in terms of game understanding. So a lot of that, I'm not saying it's all down to coaching, but I think, there are players who are potentially in their mid to late 20s who have never experienced any sort of coaching at all. Um, and I've experienced that firsthand, whereas you've got players who are 13, 14, who probably understand the game a little bit better than, than the senior players. And that's no disrespect to the, to the senior players, but they just haven't had that contact or opportunity to, to have any coaching. Um, I think the players are going to be younger at a senior age. I think they're going to be 
you're going to see a lot more 16, 17, 18-year-olds on team sheets than you are now because I think they're just going to be ready when they get to that age. Um, in 10 years' time, I think they're going to be more confident. Um, they've played a lot more. They understand the game a lot more. Um, I think it's going to be more accepted. It's you know the acceptance is there for for female players in the game now, but I think in ten years' time, the way it's going now, it's going to be totally different level. Um, so I think the players are going to be more confident in themselves. Um, so yeah, look, you know, it's there's only one way it's going at the minute, and that's and that's up. Brilliant. If you had another ten years, at the ten years that just happened, surely there's a lot that's going to change again, isn't it? So brilliant, Absolutely. Ryan. Final one, right? Yeah, I think they've touched everything. So I did pre um, make some notes, and um, the notes I put down were mentality, attitude, commitment, technically sound, game understanding, and confidence, which I think everyone sort of touched on. Um, I think technical ability of the players coming through in the next five, six years is unbelievable. Some of the girls can do stuff I could only dream of at 14. It's unreal um, what they can do. And like you say, we try and push them. But I think massive for me is the top three. I've just, the first three I said was the mentality, attitude and commitment. Um, and even at this year, we've sort of seen who's willing to put the effort in, who's got the right attitude, who's committed. Um, and sort of, we will filter out players at this club who won't fit those categories. Um, but I think that's going to be really important. I think over the years, your technical ability has got you as far as it can to a certain level, I think, but that opportunity is going to stop soon. And there's, you're going to have to have a mentality and attitude and a, like, a commitment, which is your football's going to have to become your life. A bit like you do um, at the Boys Academy to a certain degree. If you want to make it into the professional game in the men's, it's difficult. And I think it's going to become more difficult in the female game to make it at the top level. Um, so your mentality is going to have to be there um, to be able to make it. Fantastic, guys. Spot on. Brilliant. Before before we leave, is there anything that anyone wants to leave us with? Any bits that you feel we might not have covered? I've taken up a lot of your time, which I appreciate, by the way, but it's been amazing. Um, I've covered everything I wanted to cover. There's so much. I've got to be careful because I love a chat. So um, <laughs> I've got to be careful that I don't veer off too much because there's lots of things that I'm writing down on my bit of paper here that I'm like, oh, I'd like to like to delve a bit more into that, but we'll probably still be here at nine o'clock. So um, I wanted to stick to as close to the hour. I've gone a bit over again like I did the other night. So uh, is there anything that you want to say or, or end with just checking? Or have I, think we, I think we've covered most of it, but thanks for putting this on and really appreciate it. Oh, it's brilliant. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, I try and get this out in the next couple of days once I get my editing skills a bit better. Um, but thanks from me. Um, it's been brilliant. Hopefully I'm going to see some people face-to-face -face soon. Um, there's a lot of this Zoom and it's, it's great, but I, I miss the face-to-face -face and getting out on the turf. So hopefully I can come and watch some games soon and um, it'll be great to see you all again. Thank you, guys. Yes, Take care. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. Appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Yeah.